welcome to the weekly sermon at Gateway. My name is Jason McNabb. As we move through the season of Advent, we remember the Old Testament promises of Messiah, which were realized in the coming of Jesus Christ, and we look forward to his future return in glory. You can find more information about this teaching series and our church at gatewaycrc.org. Now, here's this week's message. Well, my name is Pastor Adam Vendop, and I have the joy and privilege of serving amongst you as pastor of Congregational Care, and I get to share this stage with you once again as we dive into Scripture in this Advent season. So we are in the third week of Advent, and if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to Isaiah 42. We will get there in a couple paragraphs' time. Okay, so we're in the third week of Advent, as our friends uh, Bruce and Linda said earlier this morning. It's a thrilling time within our church calendar. It's really an exciting season that where we get to anticipate the coming hope, love, joy, and peace that the Lord offers us at the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, that first Christmas day over 2,000 years ago. It's a season where we literally transform our lives. We decorate our homes. We, we lean into a celebration in the season. And for our family, Pam and I and our kids, uh, the season starts out as we go like a typical family and chop down a Christmas tree. I'm not sure how many of you actually chop down Christmas trees, but in our family, that's fairly typical. But it starts out with that process. We go up to a ledger tree farm. We look for that perfect tree, and this time we actually found it immediately. We drove in, and it was literally right there by the entry. We stood there. We chopped it down. We eventually brought it home, set it up in the living room, moved the chair aside. Later on that night, we, we put up the Christmas lights. We put on the ornaments. We put away the boxes, and we got you just to take in the spectacle in the middle of our living room, and we felt joy. We felt happiness. We felt that coziness as the home came to be this decorated piece of work. I was in Starbucks uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, last week, where I took notice again that this great retail giant, they even do the same thing. They, they pause their store, they transform it to celebrate Christmas. This massive retail giant, they change over their cups with Christmas trees, stars, snowflakes, and ornaments. Well, I recognize they're not necessarily recognizing the gift of the Savior, but they're still pausing at this time in the calendar year to say, let's celebrate, let's take joy. This isn't even making mention of the baking, the dinners, the gatherings, the parties, and the gifts that are sure to follow in this wonderful Christmas season. Now, if you're not getting the sense of it yet, I've, I, I've always loved the Christmas season. I really have. Uh, just about everything the season has to offer, I, I really, really enjoy. And being a parent, I think, has heightened that sense of joy that we can have in this Christmas season as well as we, we see the delight and the, the joy in our children's eyes as we, we give them presents, as we see them give, get presents from grandparents and all the such. And it's just really neat to see their eyes open up so wide as they receive these gifts. They open up the gift, and with surprise and joy, they take in all that they got, and it's the newest Lego set, it's the book they've always wanted, it's a new pair of headphones, or it's a new pair of socks, which really actually does give me great joy. And so in this season, it can be easy to feel joy, can't it? I really feel that it can. But yet, as Pastor Justin prayed, it, it might not. It can be an exceedingly trying time. And even in my position here as pastor of congregational care, um, I, I receive phone calls over and over and over again, and don't ever stop phoning me, or, or your care team leaders, or your elders, and asking for prayer. But I receive phone calls from you, 
in the times where you're not feeling joy, in the times where you're struggling, in the times where financial crisis has hit, another diagnosis has occurred, a friend or a family member is now in care in hospital, you're struggling with depression or anxiety and you don't know how to get around things, these are the calls I get. And I tell you, these last few weeks, I've received a whole lot of them. It's the Christmas season, and it's not always the easiest of seasons. Some of you are gathered here amongst us doing your best just to glean encouragement. Some of you are gathered here amongst us just to trying to put your best foot forward to show up and to be a part. Some of you, you might even be feeling like you're hiding in plain sight because you, you're wrestling with all of these things in a season where you're supposed to feel joy. And it can make this season feel all that much more difficult. I feel like that's kind of our natural state, though. That this, this word joy that we've been looking at here on the stage isn't necessarily our natural state. And I, I want to pause here for a moment before we carry on. I want to just remind ourselves of, of what kind of joy we're really talking about here. Because I feel like in my mind, as I've kind of journeyed into this passage and I'm kind of navigating some scripture about what's, what's joy in Christmas, there's, there's kind of two times, two kinds that we're looking at here. The first is where we're looking at uh, the joy that leaves us happy and warm inside, uh, that, that cozy feeling that you have by the Christmas tree drinking a cup of coffee by the fire. Or is it the joy that I really feel like we want to talk about and, and knowing that Christ has 2,000 plus years ago has actually come to earth. He's offered each one of us through the gift of, of himself eternal life with him and his father. So I'll honestly be also the first to admit, I'll be upfront with you, I'm not the most joy-filled guy. Uh, I, I find myself, I'm pretty subdued. I, I'm pretty calm, cool, and collected. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to jump up and down and dance and sing because that's going to make my family faint because they'll just be like, what's happening? That's just not possible. It's just not who I am. I feel like that might be a gift of, uh, of my genetics or maybe my Dutch heritage, maybe a personal flaw. To me, it doesn't really matter. That's just who I am, so deal with it. But what I am filled with, what I do want you to hear this morning, I want you to feel and I want you to hear communicated, is that what I am filled with and what my prayer that you all are filled, filled with is a joy that you can have in your heart where you know that the sin that you live in has been covered, has been forgiven by the one and only Jesus Christ who is a living, breathing, and active God. I pray that this is what you hear this morning. Not that I need you to go from these places, from these walls, and go into this world dancing and singing and jumping up and down and cheering roo all day long. That's not what I'm asking of you. What I'm asking of you this morning is to encounter this Christ, this person that is Jesus Christ who came and ushered in this element of joy in the season. And so for the last year, we've been getting to know the nation of the Israelites. We've dived, dived into the book of Deuteronomy, into Exodus, we've dived into Daniel just more recently, and we've come to see the plight of this nation. I have a hard time seeing th this group of people really feel excited or really feel joy in, in this life. Since creation and the fall, they've been a little unsettled, haven't they? Go back to the very first few stories, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. The nation was broken up and dispersed as they built the Tower of Babel. Noah and his family, this is really not a joyful moment, Noah and his family saw the entire earth flooded. What a terrifying ordeal. Joseph and his family found themselves living as exiles in Egypt after a new pharaoh took over. 
Moses led the nation away into Egypt where they stayed in the wilderness in the desert for 40 years. Then after that, there's conquest after conquest, king after king rising and falling throughout those ages. And Isaiah's voice comes on the scene here along with many other Old Testament prophets telling of how the Lord is in sovereign control and that how someday, someday, all of this unsettledness will find grounding. It'll find its rest. And so as we heard last week, Isaiah came on the scene 130 years before the book of Daniel was ever even written or before the events of it occurred. Babylon took over Judah in, uh, what's it, 605 B.C., but back up to about 700, 740 B.C. And Isaiah's writing this book. He's putting together the thoughts that he's hearing the Lord speak to him, and he's telling the nation of Israel that there is a coming servant. There is going to be this person that is coming who is just the right person to do all that they need to have so that they will be led to where they need to go. And so before we read our text of Isaiah 42 this morning, I want to launch back to Isaiah 39. In Isaiah 39, verse 6, it, it, it already tells us, this is again 130 years before this even happens, the title of this particular chapter is Envoys from Babylon. And in verse 6, it says, Israel shall be carried to Babylon. 130 years before it even happens, they're told, you are going to face a trial of all kinds. Chapter 40 starts off with, with God speaking to them already saying, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. In the midst of their trial, in the midst of their exile, we're already being told, we're already being shown that God is going to be with them wherever they go. Chapter 41, verse 10, leans into how God will strengthen them already for those challenges, that he will continue to hold them. And it's clear that God, as he's working out this punishment, as he's working out um, all of this, I need you people to follow me type, type detail, he's also working out a very clear plan of salvation. He's preparing them for the moments that the gift of his son will at one point arrive. And God tells them then again, that's Isaiah 41, verse 14. And this, this, one, this one causes me to pause. Because I, I don't think this is very complimentary. God says to this nation, he says, Fear not, you worm Jacob. He calls his nation a worm. It's these ground-slithering things. He says, You men of Israel, I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. So the Lord, again, he's seen the actions of his people and he sees them trying to be their own solution. He sees them trying to lean on their own understanding as they've been shaped, as they've been influenced by these nations around them. And they've turned to idol worship. And so at verse 24, things get a little bit more real for the nation of Israel. This is still on 41. This is still built up to 42. And Isaiah 41, uh, 24 says, Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing we could talk a little while about that but we won't we'll get to move on and we're told that in israel is incapable of helping themselves so god then can, continues on verse uh, 29 chapter 41 he says speaking now to the idols that he's seen being plaguing his israelite nation he says behold they are a delusion they are their works are nothing their metal images are an empty wind he sees that there's nothing amongst them either that can bring about the joy or salvation that he longs for them. 
Not themselves and not their idols. And so Isaiah then turns into chapter 42. And we see where God's plan for salvation will really unfold. We begin to see where Christian joy can really find its grounding. And as we ask today, how can we really experience the joy of the season? Well, we can turn to now to Isaiah 42 and begin to see and begin to piece apart an answer for us. So Isaiah 42, verse 1. Again, we've just read, Behold, you are nothing, speaking to the nation. Behold, you are a delusion, speaking to the idols. But now God turns to his servant, to his own son, and says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. We'll come back to more of that very, very soon. So number one here that we want to look at, Christian joy is grounded in the spirit. So Christian joy is grounded in the spirit. As we try to answer the question, of how do we experience real joy in the season? Well, number one, Christian joy is grounded in the spirit. And by what I mean by the spirit, it's the Holy Spirit. So we've traveled briefly through the Israelite history. And we've said there's, there's nothing about them that they can do themselves in order to bring about the joy that they long for or the salvation they long for. And so God here at this point, he now declares and he now announces to the nation that he's got the plan. He's got it sorted out. He's got it figured out. And it's going to be him that causes great delight. And his plan involves that one whom the spirit is upon, his son. And so there's no surprise here, you've heard me already say it, that at this point we know that God is speaking about his son, Jesus Christ. We, we know that it is he who has been chosen and that has the spirit of God placed upon him. As we see this, this whole un thing unfold here, we know that God knows the futility of humanity and that our natural state isn't necessarily joy. So he makes it quite clear that, quite clear that the joy is in fact found in his son who has the spirit within him. And so like the Israelites, we cannot muster up this, this joy in our own hearts on our own. That's it's an utterly impossible task. Yes, we can, we can definitely find glimmers of joy within our lives. Of, of course, that's not what I'm saying. So we set up our Christmas trees. We hang our wreaths. We sing the Christmas carols. We, we, we wrap the gifts. We give gifts, and we exchange them. However, we have to recognize that what we're talking about here is that Christian joy that we have in our hearts is only there because the Holy Spirit has placed it there. And it's up to us now to choose to say, yeah, I'm going to lean into that now. I'm going to do all that I can so that I'm going to strive to live in that direction. And so I love how the Apostle Paul, he, I think he knows all of this as he's right now writing to his friends in Galatia. And he writes to them about the, the gifts of the Spirit, and he talks to them about how to walk in the Spirit. And this is also 750 years later than when Isaiah is writing. And he says in verse 16 of chapter 5, he says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these two things, they're opposed to each other, and they keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so Paul understands that between the way that we've been called to live through the Spirit, the way that we desire to live on our own, well, they're in direct opposition to each other. One can't be the other. And so he goes on to outline a variety of things that are not born of the Spirit, but that they're born out of our flesh, out of our broken and fallen nature. At verse 19, chapter 5, he says, Now the works of flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and all the things like this. I warn you as I've warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if you live this way, you won't be able to embrace the true joy that the Holy Spirit has to offer you. And so Paul turns the corner here into verse 22. And I'm gonna change one of the words here, and I think it works. As he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, but I'm gonna say, I'm gonna argue that it's the evidence of the Spirit, is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So all that we can muster up on our own because of our fallen nature has this tendency, this proclivity to always go against God's will. That's our depraved self. That's our broken nature. And Paul outlines that only through the spirit within us, that joy, can we ever really experience all that the Lord wants to offer us. I, I'm just thinking of John 10 verse 10 where Jesus says, I have come that you might live an abundant life. And I think that's what Paul's getting at here. This, this joy that he's inviting us to experience is a joy that goes beyond just feeling happy and warm and cozy inside, but to an understanding that everything that we have in this life exists in the palm of God the Father. Everything that we experience from the joys, the struggles, uh, the health crises, the financial crises, you name it, everything that we struggle with, everything that we live with day to day exists in the palm of God's hand. But we see from the pattern of the Israelites, they keep trying to jump off and kind of do things on their own. And I feel like for you and I, that's what we do as well. We try to discover joy all on our own, apart from God. We jump off God's hand and say, I could do that on my own. I could do that myself. But that's not where we're meant to be. We're meant to exist right here in the palm of God's hand. And that's what he's pointing out to us here. So we have two options. One, we can jump into palms into God's hand, or we can do things on our own, like we've mentioned. We can numb our pain by trying to experience, by trying to escape it. We can scroll endlessly on our phones through the social feeds. We can keep on pushing next on that Netflix show. We can escape through the bottle or through uh, tempting and alluring pictures. We can escape by taking on more hours at the office. We can escape by turning off our alarms and trying to sleep in yet again. But you know your vice. You know what you lean on, and I pray that the Lord would just make that evident to you right now. As we recognize it's all too easy in this world to jump off this particular palm. There's so many other directions in which you and I can explore all on our own. Or the other option. We can always be saying, recognizing, I want to jump back into the palm of this hand. Because in the palm of this hand, the mighty hand of the Lord, not mine, is this incredible amount of joy. This incredible amount of peace, this hope, and this other, what, what's the other one? Love. I can read, I, just, I promise. Um, all of that exists right here in God's mighty right hand. And so we can choose to say, Lord, I want to jump back into that. Give me more of that. And there's always going to be more that the Lord has to offer us in the way of these four words. There's always going to be more. And then we need to choose to embrace it, to reframe our posture and to then look for the good in our lives and to change our language in order to say to this world, yes, I want to live this way. So I want to pause here again. I want to ask you a question. And I pray that you would, you would feel um, some of it in your, in your heart. The question is, how many of us are willing to walk away from these numbing activities? How many of us are willing to, to walk away from trying to jump off this mighty hand of God and run towards the joy that he has to offer us? 
How many of us are even willing to recognize that we try to jump off this hand as opposed to trying our best to stay within it? Let's keep reading Isaiah 42. Next up, verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. So number two, and how do we experience Christian joy in a season of Advent or in life in general, is that we recognize that Christian joy is grounded in hope. So as we look at these two verses next, we, we get the sense of what a loving and caring and compassionate person that Christ is going to be, about how his ministry is going to look here on earth. Now I want you to think of the last thing that you really wanted. The last thing that you were striving for, that last thing that you really hoped was going to be on, uh, on your, your birthday table or underneath the Christmas tree. And you got it, perhaps. And then you felt all this joy, you felt all this happiness until you didn't. Because there's always another thing, because there's the next thing that you wanted. That's just how this wor life works. And if you ask my wife, that's probably one of my greatest vices. There's always something more that I want. I'm a tool guy, I'm a bike guy, there's always gonna be another thing, there's always gonna be another project, there's always gonna be, there's always gonna be. But that joy doesn't last. We have this internal longing that I wanna recognize this morning, that we're built with, that we're designed for, to seek what joy really can be in our lives. But we need to recognize that things of this earth are not going to fill that internal longing that we've got. And I've had to come to terms with that myself, and it's a process that I'm probably always going to be coming to terms with. Recognizing that a new tool or a longer bike ride isn't going to just fulfill all of my fancies, all of those internal longings. They're going to help me find meaning here, absolutely. But they're not going to do good anything on their own. And so what Isaiah is telling us is that the servant to come is going to minister to that very brokenness that we have in our hearts to that very internal desire that we have in our hearts for something more. Again, like we've identified, like the Israelites, we keep on turning to ourselves and trying to jump off this hand all on our own. They've turned to idols and attached themselves to these things. But we read to recognize that as Isaiah writes, a bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. We, you and I, we are those bruised reeds. We are that faintly burning wick. You see, these reeds that Isaiah was talking about, they would normally be used for basket weaving or for uh, brick making. But when this reed is crushed, when it's bruised, when it's uh, fallen apart, you can't do anything with it. So they just toss it out. They use it for fire. They use it for, well, I don't know, compost. And we're told that the coming servant wouldn't see them as garbage. A bruised reed, he will not break. We are those faintly burning wicks, these wicks, these candles that they would have in their homes. As soon as they would get low, they'd be kind of flickery. They would just, just snuff them out and toss them out and get a new candle. Well, God says here, a faintly burning wick, he will not quench. He's coming to restore these things. We are those bruised weeds. We are those faintly burning wicks. And God says to his servant, he won't snuff out those who are tired and weary that he's going to enfold these very people, the ones who are tired, the ones who are weary, into his care. And he's gonna say, I love you, I'm gonna keep for you, I'm gonna provide for you on my righty right hand, mighty righteous right hand. And so thinking again of the Israelites and the plight that they're going through, 
every leader that they've had and every leader that they will have will bruise them. They will leave them weary. And I think of, of Pharaoh from uh, Exodus long, long ago when Pharaoh said, hey, you're making bricks, but I'm gonna give you less material. Make more bricks. That sounded kind of bruising and tiresome, didn't it? Think of Nebuchadnezzar and his desire to cut into pieces all those people who wouldn't follow him. I think of just about every other king that Israel and Judah had. Just about every single one of them were evil in God's sight. These people of Israel, they were bruised. These people of Israel, they were weary. And my mind goes to think of what Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 says. Jesus invites you, come, you who are weary, those of you who are heavy laden, you will find rest in me. And so these prophecies, they were meant to encourage these people, to help them retain hope, to help them find a joy in the one who had come to put an end to all of this restlessness. And they were, they were told that there was a joy that they could retain. And so speaking of such joy, Luke tells us, as Pastor Jason's opened up our service earlier, Jesus Christ came. And there he was born in a stable. A bunch of stinky animals around and a bunch of other things going around in a stable that we probably don't want to talk too much about. But in the same region, Luke 2, verse 8, were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around, and then they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Again, this was a, this was a moment that these shepherds, they weren't, they weren't necessarily getting joy all on their own. It was brought to them. It was shared with them. It was saying, enter into it with us. I'll bring you good news of great joy, for this will be the joy of all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there with that angel was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. We have to recognize that these shepherds, they weren't too different than the, uh, the, the crowd that Isaiah was writing to. These shepherds, they, they had it pretty rough. Shepherds weren't necessarily loved, and simply by their profession, they were kept at a distance. No one liked them. Shepherding was of the lowest jobs. It was for the outcasts. It was for the forgotten. You might say that the shepherds were broken. You might say that the shepherds were bruised, that they were weary. And who does the angel appear to first? And what is their message? The angel says, I bring you good news of great joy. And the shepherds knew deep in their hearts that, that there was something to hope for, but they never had a clue that they would be the first ones to hear about it. Let's continue on in Isaiah 42. At verse 4. Again, the, the Lord is speaking about his servant. He says, he will not grow faint or he would be discouraged till he has established justice in the whole earth. All the coastlands, all the islands, all the areas wait for his law. Number three, how do we find Christian joy in this season, in life in general? Well, Christian joy inspires a longing. And Christian joy inspires a longing. As the nation of Israel heard these words, they would have heard that there was what was coming, this, this thing to come was going to be great. It was going to be something that was just utterly just so fantastic and amazing. And it was going to stretch out beyond their lands to the entire earth. But it wasn't going to happen just quite yet. 
And so they had to wait. They had to alter their posture. They had to wait expectantly for what was yet still to come. This, this wasn't like waiting for a package in the mail that you and I, we can track FedEx and see where it's actually at. And I have this um, uh, camera by my front door and I can even see if the package has arrived. That's not the waiting that they're waiting for. It's not like a calendar that uh, you could place a date on and have a countdown towards. It's not like they knew there was a time and date. There was no package to track, no countdown clock to follow. And so we talked a little bit about this last week, about how theologians call this reality an already but not yet. Uh, for us now, this, this has happened. Christ has come. Christ was born. Christ was given. In fact, we've we received the fullness of who Christ is. But we haven't experienced the complete fullness of everything yet that is still to come. We know that the Lord wins, and there's even a time and place in the future that Revelation talks to us about, which as I read this in the context of my last two weeks, I long for. Revelation 21 verse 4 says, He, Jesus Christ, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the former things have passed away. We still have these elements here in our lives amongst us. We still have tears. We still have pain. We still have sorrow. We still have sadness. There's still death. But there's coming a time when all of that will be gone. But what I find fascinating, even as, as John continues recording all this vision, he talks about it, verse 23. And the city has no need for sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives its light. Its lamp will be the Lamb. Picture with me here this, 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 this reality. I know this is mostly metaphor. But what he's writing about is this time frame where the actual sun won't have its meaning. The actual sun, the orb, blue, bright, not blue, yellow orb in the sky, won't actually have the same purpose. <laughs> Can you imagine what now life would look like? Photosynthesis uh, would just come to an end. All that light energy is turning into oxygen through the plants and all that stuff, that just ceases to exist. Vitamin D that we get, the warmth, the light, uh, the, the perfect orbit that the earth has around the sun that just sustains everything about life is just so important. But what Jesus is saying here, those aren't going to be the realities anymore. Because you won't need that anymore because I will be that. I will be everything that you need. I will be the perfect son that you need as he is physically present with us. But as I, as I read these two distinctions here, I see that we're, we're not there quite yet. Because we still have all the pain. We have the stuff here on earth. And so we celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, and we look forward to his second coming again. But again, not like a package in the mail that we could track or a date on the calendar that we can count down towards. But we wait with an expectation of hope, with a longing that this will actually happen. You see, God is true to his word, and he's true to his promises, and he says what he says he's going to do, and he will actually do it. And so Christian joy inspires a longing, and it must be an act of longing. And we, we can't wait while sitting on our hands. We have to wait with activity. We have to wait with purpose. And so we prepare. We continue to contribute to the life of the church. We, we get to know our neighbors. We, we give of ourselves. And we do all we can to spread the gospel message so that all who are waiting would hear the chance to hear. Because, friends, there's, there's work to be done. God has placed you in the exact places that he has placed you for a very specific reason. Let's go on. 
Isaiah 42, verse 5. So there's a tone shift in Isaiah 42 here. In the first uh, four or five verses, uh, God has been speaking to the nation of Israel, talking about the servant that is to come. Now the voice switches, and God is now speaking to the servant himself. In verse five it says, Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it, and the spirit of those who walk in it, I am the Lord, and I have called you my servant in righteousness. I will take you by the hand, and I will keep you. I will give you as a covenant, as a promise for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and the new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So number four, how can we experience true joy in this Christmas season? Well, Christmas, sorry, Christian joy seeks to be multiplied. Christian joy seeks to be multiplied. So Israel as a nation, as we might be suspecting, well, they thought oh, pretty highly of themselves. They thought mostly of themselves, and there's even a big part of them that believed that God was only for themselves, that the salvation that is being talked about here was only for them and no one else. But there's, there's a word in this, in this um, passage that we just read that's pretty easy to miss. It may be a, a small letter for us, but for the nation of Israel as they're reading this, uh, it, it would have been different for them. And for us, the word is nation. In, in our text, we see the nation as a plural word. It has a little S there. It says nations. It's not just Israel that we're knowing that God is talking to. We know that there's a whole host of nations that he's talking to. For the Israelites, uh, this would have been a pretty easy understanding for them because the word that is actually used there was not just nation, it wasn't just Israel, it was actually Gentiles. The Lord is saying to them, uh, where is this one again? I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles. Everyone else other than you. Not other than because they are included. But everyone else, you are here for a reason that you are going to be here to be a light to the Gentiles around. So you see there are the Israelites and everyone else from their understanding. And the word used here is to point us to the understanding that we are called to be here to be a light to everyone else. And God said that his son was going to be that fulfilled promise. Not just for the Jews, but for all people. So that all who are spiritually blind, that they would spiritually see. So that all those who are trapped in the prison of sin and of brokenness and the bondage that this world has would begin to see a freedom from that bondage, a true joy that they could experience. And I believe for us today, that is, that is still true for us today. And I believe that is still our invitation that you and I have. That there is an element where we can see that joy has been in fact given. It's a gift that we can receive tangibly and something that we, uh, you and I, we can live into. As we see that through the Spirit, filled with hope, fueled through this deep internal longing that it begs to be multiplied, that this, this joy that we're talking about, it cannot remain singular. There's so much of this joy within the Godhead of God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit that exists in God's mighty right hand, where you also have the invitation to exist. It cannot remain singular. There's this, simply just so much of it that is just begging to be received by every other heart in this world, all the nations around us. So to close here, genuine joy found only in the Lord 
leads to a gratitude and a gladness. So remember that first distinction that we first made here about that two kinds of joy. The one joy that we're talking about where there's happiness, a warm, cozy feeling, sitting by fires and drinking hot chocolate. Or the other, a true joy that is deep-rooted in a sense of fullness and completeness that you and I can experience in the mighty right hand of God. Well, our relationship with the Lord can then influence, as we exist here, can influence all the other patterns around in life around us. So as we get to know the true reality of God's limitless joy, we can begin to see these glimpses with it in our daily lives. As we face struggles because of our Christian joy, we can rise above the challenges that we will have on a regular basis, as opposed to being swallowed up by them. I believe in a couple, right there in the next chapter, we hear, yeah. Isaiah 43, this is off the top of my head here. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. There is going to be difficulties, God reminds us. But I'm with you, and I've got you. You're gonna be mine. You won't be swallowed up by them. So final question I have for you. Is your life marked by joy of belonging to Christ Jesus existing in this mighty right hand of God? Or are you scarred from trying to achieve a joy-filled life all on your own? Are you marked by a life of joy living in Christ? Or are you scarred in your life for trying to live a joy-filled life all on your own apart from him? So I was talking with a friend earlier this week and we were talking about living a life filled with joy, especially in a time frame where many find it difficult to fully embrace the season for one reason or another. It might be the first time without a loved one. It might be the first time with a new medical crisis. It might be a time frame where there's a financial worry. It might be the first time that you're celebrating Christmas away from a particular friend. The season could be difficult. But my friend put it this way, and to summarize our conversation, and to summarize our time frame here this morning, he said, joy is the acceptance of who I am and what God has done for me. Say it again. Joy is the acceptance of who I am and what God has done for me. You've been listening to our latest message as we've been making our way through the season of Advent, focused on the coming of Jesus Christ. As always, you can find resources and information about this teaching series and more information about our church's ministry at gatewaycrc.org. I'm Jason McNabb. Please join us next time on the Weekly Sermon at Gateway.